Hello out there in podcast land. This is Jason Rose with Rupus, and uh, welcome to the Rennie Doyle Podcast. Another thing is, it's, I just wrote down as you guys, you guys spiked me off another thing. This is a perfect time to take some different directions. One of them would be, and this is interesting, is cell phone policies into your company for, for new hires. Is that if I were you, if I was a business owner, I would be writing out a cell phone policy and during the interview process, I would share that policy because probably 50% of the candidates are going to walk away when you show them a piece of paper that says there are no cell phone usage at work. Uh, you can check it on your breaks, on your 210s and at your lunch break. And other than that, is either in your locker or if your mobile unit's in the vehicle. And in, in, in the case of emergency, here's our emergency contact number. Uh, they can contact us and if it's a true emergency, and we'll, we'll, we'll get you in contact with them right away. Cell phones is the biggest waste of time. And all the shops I've been in with staff, there's nothing – I wouldn't – if I owned a shop right now, there's no way people would be carrying a cell phone on them uh, while they're working. You know, it's you're, you're losing probably two hours a day. Uh, if they want to play music, there's other alternatives. But a cell phone on their person ain't going to happen. Uh, if you don't have a written policy for it, you're going to run into trouble. And so, uh, and present that when you're hiring people because that way they can't say, oh, well, you didn't tell me that, you know, and, and know it before. So just a little bit of my soapbox. Uh, so let's jump through this next one. This is another fun one. Setting up your financial goals now. I love this picture. Um, did you take notes through this whole thing? I'm going to ask everybody that. Well, I did. I mean, you're seeing I've got my whole desk is covered in notes right now of everything we got to do. Um, I powwow with all of our, 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 our main partners every single day, Chris and I, every single day. Savings and cash are king. We found that out right now. You want to survive, you want to survive episodes? We could have an earthquake. We could have all kinds of uh, different things coming down the line at us. Uh, my 10, 20, 25, and 50% goals. When I first started out in business, I know a lot of you guys coming back into this aren't going to have the, the, a, a lot of money, put 10% of it away. Every, do, every dollar you, you, you bring in, you put 10 cents away. Every hundred, you put a buck. I mean, just, just, just something, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, 30 bucks, something. Put something away. And if you're truly successful and you're making money, put 50% of your income away. Every, and I'm talking, I'm talking gross income of what comes through the front door. If you need to pull a little bit out to pay bills, and you only pull 10% out, you got a 40% savings rate, you're going to have some serious money stocked away for a rainy day before you know it. Even if you're a small shop that's doing under $100,000 a year in total volume, if you're able to put 25% away, five years, you got $150,000 saved up, you're in good shape, man. For the next, you're not going to have any problems making it through when, you, when you've got that kind of money away. But if you don't put it away, it's not going to be there. And you've got to be disciplined on it. It's something that I learned at a very young age. Lines of credit. When we come out of this and everything. Hey, Rennie. Yes. Hey, sorry to interrupt, but on the savings thing, just one point I've learned is that uh, this is where it's important for you to really know yourself because mm -hmm. um, you mentioned the word discipline. And for some people, the habit of savings works better if it's automated. And for other people, it works better if it's a deliberate action on your part. Uh, for me, it totally works better if it's completely automated in the background and I set the amount that gets dumped into savings and then I forget about it. Um, and that's what works best for me. Wow. And then, 
Um, but other people, they it works best if they actually take the task of moving the money from one place to another, um, which I know other people are doing that and it works great for them. But this is, I think when it comes to savings and going back to the comment about automating your systems, this is one thing you make a decision on how much you're going to save and then set it up in the system. So it happens automatically. So Diane, I know Diane's on the line Did, you know, uh, this is one of those notes and guys, again, I say it on every single one. I'm already taking notes with these guys. Okay. If, if, if you're not taking notes, something's wrong. You know, I'm 54 years old. I'm taking notes. Diane, if you're listening, automate savings like right now, <laughs> every time we get paid, it just goes in something I never thought about doing Jason. Something simple. Thank you. I mean, how cool is that? So, and I'm telling you, if you do it every single day, and, and I love that because you could set it up. I've never even thought about that, Jason. You could set it on auto and you put that money in and it's automatically in savings. And guess and what? If you, if you know your numbers, as we've been talking about, you know your numbers, you go, here's what I need to operate. Here's what I'm going to pay myself. Here are my bills. This is what's left over. Okay, I am going to take whatever's left over and that's going into savings. Or I'm going to take whatever percentage of what's left over. And then I'm going to put some in open. I, I'm a, I'm a big, I, I automate too, just like Jason. I have a certain amount that goes into retirement savings and that goes into just general savings. And then I have kind of the fun account, which is the family vacations and stuff. So I divide up my net and say, okay, well, I've got this much left over. I'm going to put this chunk into savings for long-term. This is already going into retirement. I'm going to take this little extra nugget over here and I'll put it into this vacation fund. So at the end of next summer, when everybody gets back to normal, we go to Disney world or whatever it is. But if you automate it, you never see the money. Or if you have an extra good month, the extra money just goes there. Instead of you yeah. kind of going, hmm, what fun things can I, can, I, can I buy with this? If you don't see it, it's a little easier to see it go bye-bye. You know, it, 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 it never touched your, your, your fun account. It went somewhere else and you're kind of out of sight, out of mind. Ah, I agree. So lines of credit, it's a great thing to set those up in good times. You know, when things kind of mellow out, banks probably aren't thinking about lines of credit right now. They might be. Um, but to have a nice line of credit just set up, if we get into tough times where you can pull a little money out, uh, it's good debt. Uh, it's right. It's 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 right off debt. What I call right off debt. If you're using it towards, uh, if you're appropriating towards the right things, uh, run lean right now, but don't hurt your business. You know, a lot of people uh, have have misunderstood what I said. You know, hey man, you know, fire everybody. Well, don't fire everybody. You know, I mean, if you need people, don't fire the people you need. You know, just just just. But again, it goes back to knowing for sure what's going on. And I'm afraid that most people just don't know for sure what's going on. Get rid of bad debt. You know, you can't credit card debt, all this high interest debt, you got to get rid of it. You know, uh, right now, if you, if you got a car payment and I mean, we're, we're looking at it, there's so many loans out there right now is 0%. I, I really don't want to trade up too far, but I'm looking at it because it's, it's free money. I can, I can upgrade my car and it won't technically cost me anything, you know, to upgrade my car uh, daily, get into your P and L's, your profit loss, Every day, look at your finances every day, folks. Uh, you don't want to take and 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 be the guesswork. And then to Dylan's point is, and I know Jason's big about this. You keep your mind, body, and soul fresh. Account. That's what J that that's what what Dylan just mentioned is put some fun money away. And most people, most entrepreneurs, just don't escape enough. But if you just put a small amount away at the end of the year, you've got enough for that two week vacation to go keep your mind fresh. Or a quarterly. I've we've got somebody in our group. Chris in our group, uh, he takes, he takes about six planned weeks off a year throughout the year to come back and get fresh. Now they've got a nice trailer. They go out camping. They don't do anything extravagant. Uh, they do. They just I think last year they went down somewhere. They went to Cabo or something like that for a week. 
he 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 does. I mean, I, I'm impressed by that. I don't I don't do that enough. He's an inspiration to me. And so, any other notes on this that you guys want to hit on? Yeah, there's good camping in Colorado. Just there, saying. There is. <laughs> Colorado. Hey, one thing I, w I wanted to say about the run lean. So I was really impressed with how my company Rupus handled this um, and how they treat the employees. So one of the things that I don't see many detailers doing, especially the ones with lots of employees, is um, Rupus actually had different um, levels of employees. And so there was temporary help. And then there's kind of your mid mid middle of a mid-tier employee and then there's the indispensable ones that you have to have uh, if you're going to operate uh, but I just love how you know Rupus adjusted this uh, and detailers with lots of employees to address the ebb and flow of the business um, why not think about temporary you know em employees because Amen. at the phone call you can you can put them uh, you can disable, I don't want to use that word, but you can put them aside and not use them. And then on a phone call, you can pull them in and use them. So um, yeah, just thinking about how to run lean and to do that, you know, responsibly. We did it. Exactly. I'd like to just a little bit, a little bit of kudos to, to Guido, the owner and everybody. We did not lay off a single employee, including those who were unable to come in. So all the manufacturing employees received their full hourly rate plus their benefits and their retirement savings for the duration of the shutdown. And we only reopened this Monday. So uh, it's, uh, it's a testament to one taking care of the, the people. I, I'm very proud to work for this company because we took care of everybody from top to bottom, whether or not they were executive upper management, could work from home, or they were assembly line workers that didn't produce a single tool for two months. They still went the entire time with a paycheck coming in. So that's a, it, a hell of an accomplishment. You, they even let you two temporary guys, you know, come in and, <laughs> and do like that. Are they paying you, Jason? I've been doing this as a charity work. <laughs> hey, you know, our company, I'm really proud of our company too, because, you know, our company kept, uh, Diane kept Chris and I both on. Uh, she didn't get either one of us. So Diane, I want to uh, She had an excuse. Now was the time, Renny. I mean, it, I guess she's stuck with you now. <laughs> exactly, it, you know. Uh, no, that's great points. And, you know, I, I love the, uh, please feed, 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 Come into the next thing. It, it, 08 hit me in a weird way. I've been very open about it. 08 did damage to me. Um, you know, I was in my 40s. I was in my early 40s and w was, you know, still had young kids. It's kind of where you are, Dylan, you know, in my life. And uh, it, it hit us hard. And it, it hit me mentally hard. It hit me physically hard. And I wasn't prepared for it either way. And I let it get to me. And it was a, a very, I want to say, a five-year struggle you know, to, to get myself back on track. Um, don't do that. You know, get yourself healthy. Uh, if you think that, you know, you're failing, you're not failing, man. I mean, you know what, if you do good, um, Jocko, you know, says, says it best. Uh, if you guys don't follow Jocko, he's just a beast. Uh, but you know, it, 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 when things happen, good, but figure it out. Don't, don't stress yourself out and don't watch the forums because those guys are bullshit. Most of them. Um, you guys can't say that or can you? So we're going to take a little break time. So, um, Jason, you might not know this, but I, I am like a huge Iron Man. Like that's my, that's my thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I'm a huge Iron Man fan because the dude can fly and he likes, he likes ACDC, you know? <laughs> um, so I got, I had to ask you, where was this picture taken? That was in an airport. So one of the things I do um, in my, especially my international travels is all of these airports have these, 
little shops and stores and they all use mannequins. So I have this, you know, I post mannequins in airports. It's kind of a, a way to pass the time uh, waiting for the plane ride. But this, this was actually at an airport. Yeah, that was, I had to ask you about that. Cause I was like, I, I was looking through your guys' social media for cool pictures and like Iron Man, you know? <laughs> I automatically like you more. Okay, over with the book. Here we go. Back to work. Let's go in earnest. So, you know, a lot of us, I think, you know, especially right now, I think this kind of describes how a lot of people, especially you LA County guys, sorry, Chris, I keep bringing that up, but you're going to have to escape up to Big Bear. But, you know, the phone is something that a lot of people don't talk about. And this is really where uh, I want to tell you, Diane and I, um, Diane and I are really, we excelled at, at phone service in our companies. While everybody else was really concentrating on building their websites up because we, we came through that era, right? Where we did have the web, we had the web and everybody automated everything and you couldn't get a hold of anybody. So in 2016, I, I contacted actually a little over a hundred shops, 60% scored a D meaning that their communication was almost non-existent. Uh, you'd call up, they asked basic questions and wanted to get off the phone, to be honest. 30% scored an F grade, meaning that I never even heard back from them. Either they didn't answer the phone or they didn't call me back at all. And, and they didn't know who that I was. You know, it was a, this was a random call. 6% scored a C grade, 3% scored a B grade, and 1% scored an A grade. Uh, now, I'm very picky because we are super, super anal about, in every company I've had, I, I worked for a, uh, a big company and was an up and coming uh, uh, middle management guy and then upper management guy. And our boss was, we'd go into work and say, Hey, did he take his pills this morning? Kind of guy, you know, he was intense. Him and I had a great, a, a great relationship. But the number one thing he taught us is that, Hey man, the phone is it. Because when they're calling, if you don't do a good job, you ain't going to get FaceTime with them. You know, you're not going to be able to meet them. And so I'm going to tell you right now, if I had a challenge for everybody, because I have a feeling if I went through and did that hundred calls and this was random all over the country, people I didn't know if I, I think they would just be just as bad. I don't think we've gotten any better at managing the phones. So if you guys want to take and know how we turn a little tiny shop and a little tiny community into doing $1.3 million a year, it was phone. And I, I guarantee you, if you called our shop, we'd get an A grade because we, we pushed it. It was either myself uh, believe it or not, back with my other shops, my mom was involved. Oh God, she was a master. Uh, my mom, there's no way if she was answering the phones, uh, our sale, I'm not kidding you. Our sales would almost, it'd almost be a hundred percent. If when she answered the phones, it would almost be a hundred percent for, she was so good and so trusting. And so guys, any input on the, on the phone side of things, Dylan, we'll start with you this time. I agree with you. It's key. And I think it's a lost art to be able to pick up the phone. Uh, and I, there's a generational thing as well. A lot of these younger guys, it's like yeah. calling somebody, especially leaving a voicemail is like, you might as well have insulted their mother. It's like the worst thing you can do is leave a voicemail. But um, you have to understand your comfort level is your comfort level, your customer's comfort level and desired means of contact is theirs. And you need to um, you know, all money is green. I don't care if you want to talk to me on the phone, you want to talk to me email, DM me. I don't care. Send, send a handwritten letter. Um, you know, it doesn't matter if, if you've got money to spend and I'm a business owner, I want to communicate with you. Um, there's, I mean, there's nothing that says you have to do this after hours. You, you are, you are entitled to maintain business hours. You know, you, you answer emails, phone calls from 8am to 4pm, whatever your, your set rules are. 
but you do have to be good at all of them because you're going to get contacted in all these ways. Personally, myself, as somebody who does a lot of communications and has for a lot of different companies is, I take the attitude that every single point of contact, I treat the longtime big dollar customer with the exact same greeting and welcome as I do the first time guy. And some guys reverse that. They, they treat the, the big money spenders. Oh, Mr. Johnson, because this is a guy who spends thousands of me a year. Oh, how are you doing? I'm so happy. And then the new guy calls and you don't know what he wants to spend. And he's got a lot of questions. It becomes, uh, yeah, okay, yeah, well, go to the website, look at our pricing. If you do the start every, every point of contact, thank you for your email. Thank you for your phone call. Thanks for the message. It's so nice to hear from you. What can I assist you with today? Then you get into the nitty gritty of what's happening. If it's somebody you know well, it's a repeat customer, then you can shoot the breeze and stuff. But every point of contact should always start with a thank you for the contact in the first place. They've picked up the phone, typed an email, done something to get in touch with you. You should thank them for that because they're contacting you for a business reason. Yeah. It should not ever start with, hi, how you doing? It's thank you so much for your message, sir. What can we do for you today? Thank you so much for calling. What can I do for you today? If you can't start every message with a thank you, then you really got to work on that because that is, that is key appreciation for people reaching out and wanting to give you money or at least give you the opportunity to give you money. You should be thankful for that as a business owner. And even, even calls where they're calling to complain about something, you should thank them for that too. Everything. Thank you for letting us know you weren't happy with your service. I'm really sorry. How can we make it right? It's, it's, it's such a simple thing, but it is, I agree, Randy. I, I don't, I don't do intentional calls, but I've called guys back who've left messages at Rupa's or other companies work with, and the, they pick up their phone and I don't know if I'm calling, you know, a business, if I'm calling them at home while they're in the shower or on the, on the toilet, it's just, yeah, hey, this is John. Wow. I mean, if I were a customer, that's not, and I know they don't know it's me. So I, it's, it really is shocking how bad some people are at the phone thing, but all those phone manners translate just as easily to email. They translate just as easily to social media, direct messaging, text messaging, any, any channel you're communicating on should follow that same pattern. You know, muscle memory, and so whether it's military or search and rescue, I've learned that muscle memory is really important. Uh, skiing, muscle memory. Uh, polishing, muscle memory. My hands can, my hands are giving me feedback on paint. I can tell, and and I know you guys have done the same thing. If I get into, if I get into some goopy paint that's kind of messed up, and I feel I can, oh man, that's a that's a burn red, you know, waiting to happen. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because my my hands are giving my brain feedback, right? When you are sloppy on the phone, you're sloppy in sales. I hate to say it. When you're sloppy on the phone, you're sloppy in sales. If you can't be mechanical across the board, then you're not going to be mechanical across the board. You're going to, you're going to slip and you're given business. Hope that I'm not in your market opening a shop. That's all I'm going to say is because we are going to, we're going to master communications. And I always tell people, God, I wish my communications at home with my kids and my wife were as good as my communications at work were, you know, sad because they're just not, you know, they're just not. And, 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 and I wish they were, I wish, I, I wish I would have mastered that just as good. Um, any other input on this? Cause it's a big one. I think. Yeah. The other, the other turnoff for me on phone work. And I, I, I agree with everything you're saying. I think pe generally detailers need to work more on their phone etiquette and phone skills. But the other big turnoff for me is uh, the whole menu uh, before you get to talk to somebody. And if I, if it takes me more than three clicks to talk to somebody, then I'm out. I mean, I don't have patience for that. Great point. You know, and to, and to Dylan's point, when you leave a voicemail, I'm the one, I'm the guy, I'm, I'm going to admit, it, I'm going to own it right now. When I call somebody, I don't leave voicemails. I don't anymore either. I, I can't. And, and I, I actually, that, I'm, I'm weird with voicemails. I don't even like to get voicemails. I'm, 
I'm one the weird thing is, though, is have you been conditioned? That That's the thing I keep trying to struggle with because I'm in the same boat. I tend not to leave voicemails and then I'll jump and send a text or I'll send an email. Hey, I tried calling you, weren't available. Um, but I, I, I kind of wonder myself, this is a little bit of a like a, a social study I want to do is, are we stopping leaving voicemails because so many people suck at phone work? Or are we doing it because we just don't want to leave voicemails anymore? And I, part of me starts to feel a little bit like... Uh, it feels like we've almost been conditioned because so few people call back on voicemails anymore. You go, well, if I leave a voicemail, they're not going to call me back. So I better text them. So never, I know they get it. Never thought of it that way. And I'd have to say you're right, Dylan. I think that's exactly my rationale when I do it. Like, okay. So uh, uh, Mark, if you're, if you're, if you're listening, I'm sorry to, 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 to uh, announce in public our bromance, but um, one of my bosses <laughs> in the military, uh, we talk about every day and uh, um we, we've conditioned each other. We don't leave voicemails. If we miss the call, I just know he's going to call me back. Does that make sense? And so if I call Jason, matter of fact, I'm not going to leave him a voicemail because you'll see he missed my call and he'll call me back when it's appropriate. I don't get my, 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 my feelings and, you know, hurt or anything else. But to your, to your point with businesses, like we're dealing with something right now with the work, we're the consumer. We bought a very something, you know, we, we, we spent some money with thousands with somebody and we're having problems. Can't get a phone call back. You know, and, and unfortunately, the next call is going to be an attorney, and they're going to get their they're they're going to get their their attention real quick. But it, it's yeah, I would love to see that. I, you know, if you get information, let me know, Dylan. If you do any little studies on that, we'll come. We'll bring you back on, and we'll share what you find, because that would be that'd be fascinating to me. You know, okay, this is going to be a fun one too. Um, fine tune. So we're going to fine tune it now, Jason. What's what's this picture? You're up. This was just a few weeks ago. This was during the, this is during all this. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things I'm an outdoorsy person have to get out, but this was uh, one of my weekend hikes in the snow. So yeah, just uh, it's a way. And then this is totally social distancing. I think I ran into like two people on this trail and, but um, yeah, that was actually doing a snow hike uh, a few weeks ago. I love it. I love it. Yeah. You know, I made a promise to myself during this. I've also woke up in the morning. I, I don't know where I, and I wish I would have re remembered it. Oh, I know where I did is um, I, I, I bought a Peloton bike during all this. And one of the instructors said, hey, do me a favor. He's at the end of the workout. I was calling him really nasty names. And um, I, I'm glad he couldn't hear over the screen. And he says, hey, do me a favor. Tomorrow when you wake up, make yourself two promises. And I thought that was really cool. So I want to get back out and I want to spend 40 nights a year under the stars. Mm. I'm spent just camping and I love to snow camp and it sounds crazy, but that's part of my, you know, my fun for, you know, going in and, and it's really cheap. I mean, once you buy the equipment that you've got on, it's there, right? Mm. And you get it all secondhand. So sales methods online, you got to man hone them in because there's, <laughs> there's a lot of bad communications out there online, a lot of bad behaviors. I look at, I, you know, when I'm really going to make a decision, a buying decision, I'll go in and look at people's habits online and see what they're, what they're doing. Uh, their, sales, their, their phone sales system, we just asked about that. You're in person, your relationships. How are you doing with that? You know, is, is one of the things in the mafia we practice more than anything is that, is our in-person connections, you know, how we're, how we're communicating. And then I would tell you, if you really want to learn to communicate better, is go make group presentations. Go to your women's club, go to the Rotary Club, go to your, go to your chamber, your, your, your Latif groups, your network marketing groups. I mean, all these different things and, and volunteer to speak because I'll tell you what, 
you will really, really, really learn the art of communication when you do those things. So um, now my high points on this is don't sell what they don't need. If they trash their vehicle, why are you selling them a five-year coating when they're going to need a service in a year because of the way they treat their car? That's silly. Trust, respect, educate, and entertain. Is if you can tr get people to trust you, if you show respect and they're giving you respect back, if you educate them of what truly detailing is, and you give a little entertainment in there, meaning that Joe, Joe, uh, uh, Jim Go Gogan does the best. In his newsletter, he gives a menu out of what's happening in his community that month. Everything that's happening in his community is listed out. That's entertainment. He, he's told me that he's had people come back to him and say, wow, you know, you've got the best calendar of events out of the whole <laughs> town. You know, we know where to go by reading your newsletters. And how cool is that? So, um, Jason, we'll start with you this time. Anything jumping out at you? Yeah, the group presentations thing and the communication skills, it just strikes me as, um, you know, when it comes to communication skills, it, it really is uh, ongoing education, ongoing self-education. So, um, Dylan is a good example, and Rennie, you are, and I am. I've been speaking in front of audiences for 25-plus years, but... I know Dylan and I, I don't know, Rennie, if you do, but we we consciously make an effort to improve uh, communication skills. We we still have talks with each other about the ums and the ahs and the, you know, better ways of saying things and, um, you know, fluctuations in your tonality and thing, all these basic, basic, it, it really is basic communication, but the point is that it is a ongoing skill development thing. It's not one and done you fix that now move on to something else it's something we always work on now ah, good point dylan same thing it's all continuous improvement right you can't nothing is ever finished in my world nothing is ever perfect nothing is ever done um it's a you know, i'm i'm a fast talker so i i make a conscious effort to try and slow my pace down especially when speaking to you know we deal with international groups english isn't their first language the speed i talk at a lot of them they miss yeah. most of it. Um, so I'm consciously working on that. And I, I ping Jason, I ping others about, hey, how was that? Was it was the pace good? Was the tone good? Did I say everything right? Um, and I would say among those things, you're, you know, you're talking about group presentations. It doesn't necessarily, given the new reality of things, it doesn't necessarily have to be group in person. I mean, you can do this Zoom thing that we're doing right now um, and the, Zoom offers free licenses for small groups. I mean, you can get on this and you can host small community gatherings online. Um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to force you to do two things. If you're not a good tech guy and you're not comfortable with it, you're going to have to do some rehearsals. Invite some family in and get used to doing presentations. Then roll it out maybe, like you said, to a local club or something. Do a short demonstration on a, a, a short talk on proper car care for the local you know, Corvette club or something. Invite them in and say, hey, we're going to do a virtual meeting for free. I want to talk to your club about how to take care of their cars. Um, I promise you, the more you do it, the better you get. And I go back to the make yourself uncomfortable piece. I know a lot of people hate talking in front of groups. They hate what we're doing right now. A lot of people lock up and get very uncomfortable. If you're not making yourself uncomfortable, you're not making yourself better. And so the more you do it, the better you'll get. And I promise you, if you, if you just throw yourself into it, forget a little bit about the, oh God, they're going to laugh at me and just get uncomfortable for a minute. By that third one, you're going to be so comfortable at doing it. You may not be the best speaker, but you're going to be able to run a, run a meeting and, and tell people something that will benefit you. If you get that Corvette club excited about car care, well, when, when they need somebody, who are they going to come talk to, right? 
well, you know, one of the best speakers in the world, and he said a lot of ums because I, I, I counted them out. And he, he, he didn't do good without a teleprompter. But even without a teleprompter, he was one of the best speakers in the world, and it was Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. It, that guy, when he got on a roll, oh, and he said ums like you wouldn't believe. Jason, he wasted us on ums. Uh, and he's president <laughs> of the United States. You know, I record all, a lot of what I do, and I go back and watch it, and there's nobody more critical on myself than me. And I hate it because man, I just – I'll tear it apart. But you know what? I get a little better at time. Now, let me ask you guys this. Were you guys – a lot of people think, well, yeah, you guys are comfortable doing this. You're born to do it. Jason, mm-hmm. were you born to talk in front of people? No. No, it was definitely a skill that you work on over time. Dylan? No, I was painfully shy, like, you know, in elementary school and even junior high, the idea of getting in front of a group was hideous. I hated it. I couldn't speak in front of people comfortably. Some, it's a learned skill, just like anything else. And it's a maintained skill. It's just like in the military, you know, shooting and search and rescue knots. If you don't keep doing them, you're not going to have it. It's going gonna, it's gonna to slip away slowly but surely. So great input. Thanks, guys. Um, I, here's, here's the deal. Silver tongue devil. That's what this means right here. Hmm. Don't be a silver tongue devil. You know, don't be so slick with your mouth that you're a snake oil salesman. Uh, the best advice that I was ever given, and I'd love to hear your guys's, is that same boss, Michael Scott, that I worked with. One of the most inspiring people I ever worked with. Uh, hardcore. A lot of people didn't like him. I loved him because he beat the shit out of me every day and made me a better, a better person, better business person, a better manager, a better salesman, a better entrepreneur. But he taught me never, got, never get caught selling that was a simple thing. Mm. Never get caught selling anything. And he says, if, you, if you're honest with people and you're giving them what they need and what they want and you don't force it down their throats and you don't try to, you know, you know again, don't be a salesman. Just, just, just communicate and, and, and be a good communicator with them. So, Dylan, we'll start with you this time. Best piece of advice that you've ever been given about sales? The, the sales process that I learned, and this was – God, my first detail business, I can't, I won't even try and remember what year it was, but I was still in high school at this point. And I was the, you know, I was finger gunning and doing a lot of, Hey, yeah, I can make your shirt so shiny. And point, you were, you were, you were just to clarify, you were detailing. I mean, was it was uh, mainly horse drawn carriages, correct? I mean, right, yeah. You know, so, so the beard helps with the Amish folk. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but a, a person who was running a fairly successful business that I did some business with gave me advice and he, it, it stuck to me this day and it's so, it's so simple and so useful is that you sell solutions. You're solving a problem. So, so the, the sales process is identify problem, then present solution. If you can solve a problem, you're not selling, you're solving a problem. So if you say, you know, the customer, what, what about your car is bothering you right now? God, all, there's all these scratches under the door handle where my wife scratched it, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Boom. Item number one, anything else? Well, you know, overall, I think it looks good. It's just not very shiny. Okay, that tells you that guy is only looking at the deep scratches, doesn't care about swirl marks, doesn't care about anything else. He wants it to be clean, shiny, and he wants the deep, very obvious stuff gone. Am I going to sell him a, a multi-day, multi-step, full correction, five-year coat? No, of course not. You keep feeling out, and maybe he ends up there. But your first push then is, okay, this guy is concerned about the big stuff, and he wants it clean and shiny. This sounds like an express detail customer with some upsell on scratch removal. Done. I have solved that customer's problems. If you keep pushing beyond that and try and sell them services above and beyond what they're trying, what they even realize is a problem, you're going to oversell, you're going to blow that sale, or you're going to push them into a financial territory where they're not comfortable. 
there's the, the delicate balance between upsell and oversell. Amen. Well said. Jason? Yeah. So I, you know, first of all, I, I did sales for 10 years at a previous employer, um, uh, but I have to credit the best sales advice uh, that I've ever gotten to Barry McGuire. Um, he, I think he really taught me how to sell. And that was after I had 12 years of, uh, of my own detail business. Um, but actually right uh, here, right up there in my office, that, that painted hood is actually an award uh, I was given back in 2001 when I worked at McGuire's and it was the, it's called the Big Slugger Award, but it was the largest single sales order that a salesperson achieved at McGuire's on the professional side of their business. And that has, has never been beaten since. So it's, it's a record, but the best advice I got from Barry McGuire was we need to think of selling product at in three different levels. So anybody can sell the first bottle of something. Uh, and if you can't sell that first bottle, you shouldn't be in sales, you know, cause anybody can do that first bottle. But then the second level of selling is the second, the third, the fourth bottle, um, which is all about um, relationship and connection to the brand. And then the other thing, the most powerful level was selling items or services to a customer for life. So those are the three different levels that Barry McGuire taught me and uh, selling to a customer for life is all about the relationship. Yep. So what he taught us as salespeople at McGuire's was uh, don't, don't try to sell the first bottle. That should be a basic and it should happen automatically, but sell on that third level where you get customers for life. And, that, and that's the best advice I ever got. Boy, I'll tell you that, that, that resonates because you know, we, we look at in our companies, we wanted to always look, we didn't look at the sale. We looked at the lifetime value of a customer, what we call the lifetime value is we wanted to take and keep a customer for at least 10 years, which we, I'm proud to say we did. We accomplished that. It wasn't easy, but it was easy. And meaning that the uneasy part of it was, is it took constant contact and it took work. The easy part was, is that all we were was honest. We just, we just, we didn't, we didn't, yeah. we didn't trick them in anything. We just, we, we had connections, you know, Dylan and I don't know each other as well, but yet I, I know enough about him to know enough about him. You know, he puts it out there and I pay attention. There's people I pay attention to, you know, <clears throat> pay attention to your customers. Simple as that. Mm -hmm. uh, well, that's some great, that's some great advice. And go and, and touching on that a little bit and going back, back to kind of knowing your numbers too. And to your point of having a customer for life, both of your guys' points is that, if you understand what your cost of customer acquisition is, and again, it's another number. If you don't know what your acquisition cost is, you have missed something and you need to be working on that. But I guarantee you it's not very low. People are not just, people are not falling into your lap by accident. You might occasionally get the, the, the handoff, but you are investing something in advertising, something to attract that person. There's a sunk cost. You can take that cost and you can tie it to one job and never see that person again. Yeah. Or you can take that acquisition cost and you keep them for a long time, you stretch that acquisition cost into the lifetime of that, that relationship with that customer. And then your acquisition cost becomes a little bit more of a maintenance cost. What are you doing to maintain that customer? And it's a much lower number. Maintenance is so cheap compared to acquisition. And if you don't understand those two things, that is a piece of your business you need to dive into very, very deeply because it is it's so key, especially for guys who are just starting. My God, your acquisition cost is high per customer. 
really and a, another tip on that dylan you just reminded me because a lot of detailers forget this important piece too which is uh, many of many detailers look at the time it takes to do a particular service and they analyze you know your labor and cost and all that but how much time does it take you to actually sell that service to a customer and you need to factor in the selling time into the you know the time it takes to do that service it's so important no it is and you know it it uh, great points i mean it 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 it's we, we look at, you know, back in the day, I can still tell you this, is when we first started out, our first year that we started Attention to Details, our primary company, uh, back in 97, late 97, was $100. That first year, it cost us 100 bucks to go out and cultivate relationships. Now, three, two years later, that cost had gone down to about $54. A year later, that cost was down to, to under $30. Um, by today's standards, I guarantee you, because the social media has gotten a little easier and so forth, it's probably in the $10 to $15 range. That's still a lot of money, but it's cheap compared to what it used to be because mm -hmm. we don't have phone book cost anymore. You know, we don't have these, these stupid high, you know, direct mail. If you do our direct mail, we, I, I'm a believer in direct mail again. I wasn't. Uh, but it's pinpointed. You can target it. It's not a shotgun. So there's a lot of things that you can do. And it's a, it's expense that you just nailed doing that. Most people just don't concentrate on that number. So you can tell you're a comms guy, you know?